Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is April the 23rd, 2021. And I thank you for joining me. Um, the world is continuing to go nuts. Uh, around the United States, we're seeing, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it, I guess calls for anarchy by the radical left. And in full disclosure, those of you familiar with me know I'm registered as a Democrat, but these aren't Democrats. This is nothing like the Democrat Party that I signed on with when I first began voting back in college uh, decades ago. More decades than I care to think of, in fact. And cooler heads need to prevail. And I would love to see people on television not running their mouths unless they know what they're talking about. I mentioned it last week, Geraldo Rivera. I've met Geraldo. I was on his program back when... He was doing the Sons of Scarface, and he went after Asian organized crime. Uh, he was all in. Boy, if they're here, and they're doing crime. And, and then somehow he's morphed from that. The people that run the border are kids hopping the line. I almost feel like we're in the schoolyard watching kids playing jump rope, hopping the line. Um, last week or two weeks ago, he made a statement that blew my mind. But I've heard similar nonsense. People that are supposedly law enforcement experts, never carried a gun, never made an arrest, never chased someone down a dark alley, but they did a ride-along, or they worked in a desk job that had a relationship to the courtroom, and they call it law enforcement. Let me explain this very clearly and very carefully. If you do law enforcement, what we are generally speaking about is the men and women who put their lives on the line enforcing the laws, where the consequences to a mistake can cost them or other people their lives or cause them to become grievously and perhaps permanently uh, handicapped, injured, disabled. Not a game. If you want to talk about people who have skin in the game, it's the men and women who put a badge in their pocket or pin one onto their uniform and you know, holster their weapons and go out on patrol or go out to conduct investigations and so forth. I was an INS agent for 26 years. I worked closely with New York City, New York State Police, police on Long Island, police in other countries, police from around the United States. I helped the Texas Rangers with an investigation. Uh, we worked cooperatively. We were out there. Uh, getting warrants, kicking down doors, chasing people, handcuffing them. It is a contact sport, and you could pay with your life if you have a bad day at work. And, indeed, I lost several close friends who were in the law enforcement professions and had a very bad day at work, and they did not come home. And when somebody could talk about, well, I did a ride-along, my analogy is sitting in first class in an airliner and saying, well, I was just inches away from the cockpit, so I know what it's like to fly a jet airliner. Holy smoke. 
if anybody ever said something that idiotic, they'd be laughed off the television set, although with some of these wacky programs, who knows? But please don't tell me that you did a ride-along so you know what it's like to be out there making arrests and putting your life and the life of those people you work with on the line. You have a split second to react. If you overreact, you could be in deep trouble. If you underreact, you could be dead, deeper trouble. That's what we're talking about. Somebody wants to find law enforcement personnel as those folks who run toward that which any sane person would run from. Not everybody who is in law enforcement should be there. Not everybody who teaches school or works as a nurse or a doctor or a surgeon or a lawyer or a school teacher or an airline pilot, not all of them should be in those professions. And when you talk about law enforcement or firefighters or EMTs or doctors and nurses, people die. Airline pilots, people die. These are serious jobs with serious consequences. And if you think law enforcement is making mistakes, and there are mistakes made, and not everyone who carries a badge should have that badge, let's be honest. The great majority of the people that I worked with in law enforcement were honest, honorable, decent, uh, smart people. I ran into a number of people who I think shouldn't have been there. Maybe they they made a bad career decision, or maybe the agencies they worked with shouldn't have hired them or shouldn't have retained them. No argument. But we see this across the board. And, And, you know, a while back I wrote an article because it astonished me. Because I started to think about the people who are lost when police officers or federal agents make a bad decision. And then I started to think about, well, wait a minute. Why don't we look at doctors and nurses, people that that provide health care? How many people die because of the mistakes that the medical profession makes? And Johns Hopkins University, uh, Johns Hopkins, um, I guess it was the university or their hospital system perhaps, did a study back in, I believe it was 2019, looking at 2018, and the number of deaths attributed to medical malpractice blew me away. If I give you the number, you're going to fall down. But Johns Hopkins came up with an estimate that the prior year, more than 250,000, 250 thousand people died as a result of medical malpractice it takes my breath away a study done by a different organization pegged the number much higher at 440,000 440,000 has anyone said let's defund hospitals look at the opiate crisis how many doctors <clears throat> were guilty of over prescribing pain meds for whatever reason. Maybe they were being given incentives, financial incentives. I don't know. But we know there's been a huge problem with opiate overdoses because people were hooked on drugs when they were injured, and when they couldn't get prescriptions, they turned to illegal drugs, and boy, were the cartels ready, willing, and able to meet that need. I remember Bob Stutman, and I know I've spoken about it before, but Bob had been the special agent in charge of the New York Field Division of the DEA uh, way back when I was assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division in New York City. Uh, I had many assignments as an immigration agent. I probably had one of the most diverse careers 
uh, as anybody with the INS. I was an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport. I did that job for four years. During one of those four years, I was assigned as an adjudications officer doing those marriage interviews that you've seen, trying to see if people are really living together or if they're committing fraud. And then I rotated through every single um, squad within the investigations branch in New York, and I also was the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA in New York, spent almost four years there, or about four years there. And then I was promoted to senior special agent, and I was assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, always as an immigration agent, but as a member of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. It's known by its acronym OCDETF, O-C-D-E-T-F, for the initials. I had desks at the FBI, DEA, of course, ATF, and I worked with a whole bunch of other local and state law enforcement agencies and even with foreign governments. And what was astonishing to me was how the level of drug use and abuse went through the roof. And I was with Bob Stutman back in, in the late 80s when I accompanied him to a speech that he was giving. And he told the audience that when he first started to work for the DEA, and I believe it was in the late 1970s or maybe even a little bit earlier than that, he said if anybody had dropped a kilo of cocaine on a street corner, the residents would have been dialing 911 uh, and, and asking for the sanitation department to clean up the mess and have the fire department hose down the street. And he said by the 80s with the crack epidemic, it became a whole new game. Suddenly, he said if you dropped a kilo of cocaine on a street corner, half the residents would be out crawling around on their knees with a straw stuck in their nose. I would argue that part of that, besides the, the advent of crack, was the, um, you know, this overprescription of opiates, of, of pain meds. And if you watch television, it seems like half the commercials are commercials telling you about some drug that you need a prescription for, so I'm not sure what the point of this is. And then how many more commercials do you see run by the law firms that promise to sue the drug companies for either making you sick or killing a family member by giving them a drug that they never should have been given. Everything seems to revolve around drugs. Whatever it is that's bothering you, we've got a pill, we've got an injection, we've got some chemical that we can put into your body and solve the problem. It's a drug culture. And when you have kids coming home from school, I don't know if they still call them what they did when I was younger. We used to call them the latchkey children. If they had the key to open the door and they were there, without a parent supervising them, flipping the dial, watching TV. Well, if you're a teenager and you flip the dial and you see all these commercials saying this pill is good for this and that pill is good for that and, and this medication will cure this problem, it just seems like everyone must be taking something. And then unsupervised, they're out in the schoolyard, they're out with their friends, they go to a party, someone offers them some drugs and we're off to the races. Or somebody gets hurt. And a doctor overprescribes pain meds. You know, I, I hate taking pain medication. The only time I really had to, and I tried to end it much earlier, was when I had cancer surgery. I didn't know you could feel that lousy and still be alive. But I wanted off those painkillers. I didn't even want to run the risk of getting hooked on anything. Uh, pain is terrible, but addiction is worse. But we've become a nation of softies. I'm serious now. I really am. We've become a nation of, and look what we've done, telling kids that nobody loses. If you play a game, let's not take score, because if you have a score, someone's going to feel bad. 
And if there's a schoolyard bully, don't do anything about it. Let someone else help you. I hate schoolyard bullies. I used to get the crap beat out of me as a matter of routine because I didn't think much about sports figures. I don't understand the term hero and, 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 and sports figure in the same sentence. Heroic play makes no sense to me. Heroic play. How can you be a hero when you're playing? To me, heroes are men and women who put their lives on the line for an important cause, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's the EMTs who expose themselves to all kinds of um, diseases and so forth, caring for people who are terribly injured, firefighters who go into burning buildings, astronauts, test pilots, the members of the military. These are heroes. These are heroes. That's heroic. If you have a bad day at work, you might not come home. That's a hero. You're running towards those things everyone else is running away from. That's a hero. The guy caught the ball. What a hero. Heroic play. Really? He was playing. Let's get serious around here. But we've taught the kids, everybody wins, nobody loses, and if anybody bullies you, have someone else help you. Well, because I didn't think sports figures were a big deal. Uh, My heroes were astronauts and test pilots. I was scrawny. So I used to come home with a black eye and torn clothing fairly frequently as a kid. This is Brooklyn. Welcome to the world. And my dad, who was a construction worker, said, Mike, you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. You've got to start to eat better. You've got to put on some muscle. You've got to bulk up, and you've got to learn how to box because you have to deal with these people. And when you get older, they're not going to go away. They're still out there. In fact, I think of schoolyard bullies as sparring partners to teach you how to grow up. If you have a puppy or a kitten, they play fight. Why do they play fighting? They're in training for the rest of their lives. You need to learn how to deal with the bullies. And I hate them. I mean, I really hate them because they made my life miserable. I would sit in the classroom looking at that clock, and as the, 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 the hands were moving towards 3 o'clock, I knew I was likely to have a fist fight in the schoolyard. I wasn't happy. But I learned how to take care of myself. I learned how to stand on my own two feet. We don't do that anymore in America. We don't do a lot of things anymore in America. We used to have sayings in America that made sense. Build a better mousetrap and the world will be the path to your door. That's how you become successful. It's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. This was about adhering to the rules and legitimacy. Now in Congress, the Democrats want to pass the court and they want to make Washington into a state so that they can change the rules of the game so they win. So for the Democrats, forget about it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play. It's whether or not you win or lose, period. And it doesn't matter what you do as long as you win. Winning isn't the, 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 uh, the first item. It's the only item on their agenda, winning. We've got to be in power. And when the Republicans are in power, they play games too. This isn't what America was built on. You're supposed to be looking at the rules and saying we've got to play by the rules. That's what morality is about. Morality. Who talks about morality anymore? My goodness gracious. And everything gets politicized by the politicians. I guess if you're a hammer, everything is a nail. I was talking to an advisor to a Republican candidate for a significant office, and I said, you know, the candidate really should be looking at the immigration issue because of how important it is. And and this guy who's involved with the campaign said, well, that's right. Those Democrats want to bring in voters. I said, voters, is that all you can think about? He goes, well, is there anything more to this? I said, yeah, there are drugs and and criminals and terrorists and fugitives coming across the border, and they're displacing American workers, and it's driving down wages. 
and you wind up with countries like China sending us their students, we educate them, and they build their military that they're threatening us with. That's all part of immigration. Yeah, but he said, you know, the real deal here is they're looking to bring in all those voters. So all that they care about are the voters in terms of their votes, but not in terms of the jobs or anything else that the American people are desperate to have. All that the politicians give a damn about is winning the election. And then what? And then what? What's the point to winning an election if you're not representing the American people and preserving and protecting and defending the Constitution and the survival of this great nation? It's both parties that have gotten us into this disaster. And now the lunatunes have taken over, and they're talking about defunding the police. They wouldn't defund hospitals. They wouldn't defund doctors that are prescribing painkillers as though they're going out of style. But some cops make a bad decision, and sometimes cops don't make a bad decision, but the media twists the facts. The media twists the facts. Because this is no longer news. This is propaganda. Political correctness? Well, when you play politics with language, it's not political correctness. It's Orwellian newspeak straight out of the Ministry of Truth. And this is something that the American people should be standing up and making their voices heard and telling the politicians, you either represent us or you don't. And if you don't represent us, there's no reason you should be in that office. You are being insubordinate to we, the people. We, the people. And, you know, if these politicians were really acting on behalf of the average American, they wouldn't have to worry about importing voters because they would know that the American people would be so happy with what they're doing that the great majority of Americans would be happy to vote for them. But this is a big swindle. Bernie Madoff just passed away, and someone in the media today on Fox made the point, well, biggest swindle, no, the biggest swindle comes from the politicians, comes from the way that they have conned Americans with this immigration issue, comes from this misuse of language. Everyone's an immigrant. Nobody's an alien. We're a nation of immigrants. If you want to enforce the law, you're anti-immigrant, you're anti-American. The media plays along. So when there's an immigration debate, it's not pro-enforcement versus immigration anarchy. That's really the debate, ladies and gentlemen. They describe it as pro-immigrant or anti-immigrant. So I, I guess I'm anti-immigrant because I want to see our immigration laws enforced fairly but effectively. And our immigration laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. I, I've re- repeatedly said this, but I'm going to say it again. Title Eight. look it up after the program. Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182, lists all the categories of aliens who are inadmissible, may not be let in. There's not a word in there about race or religion or ethnicity. If that distinction was made, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. It starts out with aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Let's remember, folks, Ellis Island was a quarantine station. In fact, at the time that it was completed, Ellis Island consisted of, I believe it was 42 separate buildings, And it constituted the biggest hospital system in the entire United States of America. And they built Ellis Island as an island. In fact, a lot of the island was built up by the debris that was taken out by tunneling for the New York City subway system. Because they wanted to create a big island, and nobody could get from the island to the mainland unless you got on a boat, and the boat was run by the federal government. 
there was no catch and release, okay? You either were allowed to come in and we put you on a boat, the immigration authorities and public health authorities, or they sent you back on the boat that brought you to Ellis Island, and you went home, and that even meant splitting up families if you had a dangerous disease. They worried about pandemics. And and we thought, pandemics, that was then, how quaint. Well, how's that working out for us today? Indeed. So it's about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, mental illness, aliens who are criminals and terrorists and spies and human traffickers and drug smugglers, Nazi war criminals, fugitives from justice, and then we get to aliens who are previously deported and aliens who, if they work, would displace American workers. What in the world is wrong with that, protecting the lives and livelihoods of Americans? And we hear this nonsense about white privilege. You know, people of every color, race, religion, ethnicity have had their difficulties. What happened in America with slavery was an abomination. It was an atrocity. It was a, it was a crime against humanity. But unfortunately, back then, slavery was widespread when this country was formed. It was America that led the charge to end slavery. The Civil War was fought, and slavery ended in America. But this notion that we can never redeem ourselves because America had slaves, then no country could redeem itself. And if you get a look at anybody in history, people are complicated. I just addressed a room filled with Air Force officers a couple of weeks ago. We did it through the magic of video. I went down to Washington, and there was a video crew there. But my audience were senior members of the U.S. Air Force, generals and colonels. And I said, so look at what immigration has always done to help America, bringing in people that we needed. And the case in point, Warner Von Brown and his fellow scientists, engineers, and technicians who worked in the Hartz Mountains in Penamunda during the Second World War. Those of you familiar with the Second World War know about Werner von Braun. He was considered the man who got us to the moon. The Saturn V rocket was designed by Werner von Braun and his engineers. The Redstone rocket that launched Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom into suborbital flights back in 1961 was actually very similar to the V-2 rocket that the Germans used to blow up civilian targets in London. It was a weapon of terror. The V-1, which was a ramjet buzz bomb, they called it, because of the noise the engine made. It wasn't a, jet, it wasn't a rocket. It was actually a jet. It looked kind of like a cruise missile, long missile with the engine on the back, and it had wings, and they would aim it towards England, and when it ran out of fuel, it would just plummet from the sky, and it had explosives in the nose, this thing would hit the ground and blow up the buildings under it. They didn't target military installations. You know, we worry about collateral damage. The whole purpose of the V1 and V2 was to blow up civilian neighborhoods in London by the Nazis. And Werner von Braun built them and used slave labor. So was Werner von Braun a hero or a villain? I'll let you decide. But I can tell you my family was decimated in the Holocaust. I was named for my mother's mother who died in Poland during the Nazi reign of terror because of our religion. We're Jewish. I have mixed feelings about von Braun and and those scientists and engineers from Penamunda. But the point that I'm making is that history is not neat and simple and black and white, literally black and white. There's lots of shades of gray and we need to have the conversations, and we need to study history so we don't repeat history's mistakes. 
And today we're living in, a, in an era that's extremely dangerous where you have people calling for the dismantling of police departments, dismantling of border security. These are fantasy accomplishments for China, Iran, and Russia. They love America to fall into chaos so they could take over. And the people that are out there demonstrating and rioting and doing all the things that they're doing, uh, I don't know what they think the ultimate outcome is going to be. Now, America certainly is not a perfect nation. We've made a lot of mistakes, but so has every other country in history. I'll still put America up there against any other country's history in terms of our achievements and the way that we worked so hard to realize Dr. Martin Luther King's dreams uh, of getting rid of discrimination and racism and hatred, and you don't get rid of racism by replacing it with a different brand of racism. People can't control that they were born at all. I don't know anybody who prior to being born was asked, would you like to come into the world? No one decides if they're going to be born as a, a man or a woman, you know, a boy or a girl. They don't even decide what family they're going to come into, whether they're going to be poor or wealthy, or believe in, in God, not believe in God, what religion. We land where we land when we're born. What we are held accountable for are those things that we do have control over our actions or our lack of action. That's what we are made accountable for. And that's the way it should work. That's what fairness is about. Imagine using the word fairness. And when I hear this craziness about let's defund the police, what is that doing around the country right now? Murder rates, shooting rates, robberies, rapes, skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. Why? Well, the cops are bad. If we defund the police, then what? See, I, I have a great idea. Now, let's take this idea for a spin around the block, and you tell me what you think. How about if those people that want to see the police defunded provide law enforcement with their phone numbers so that law enforcement can block their phone? You don't think we need police? That's great. Let's see you stand up and say, this is my phone number. I will never call you, and if I do, don't respond. You know, do not respond. That's what we need. Put your name on a, on a registry where the police will not respond if you call. Call for help. Lots of luck. You're on your own. You don't think we need the police? Let's see if you've got the guts to stand by that nonsense. You want to defund the police? Then let's make sure that your phone can't be used to summon police to, your, to, to help you out if you're in a jam. Defund the police is getting people killed, people injured, people raped. This won't end well. This won't end well. No one's thinking this through, and if they are, and they really think this is a good idea, then they should be taking down the wallpaper in their houses and putting up mattresses and pad the damn walls. Although if you're that wacky uh, and you bang your head against the wall, maybe you should hurt yourself. This is a very dangerous notion, and it makes no sense. We don't need immigration law enforcement, so let's let people with diseases come in, because we know that people with COVID are flowing across the border. Let's let the terrorists come in, so if they blow up a building, who knows? Maybe you'll be lucky enough to be in the building. What in the world are these people thinking about? And I'd like to know why the politicians aren't talking about the 9-11 Commission, other than in terms of January 6th and the riot at the Capitol. 
the 9-11 Commission report was crystal clear that it was multiple failures of the immigration system, no other system, the immigration system that enabled the terrorists to enter the United States, embed themselves, you know, hide in plain sight, and go about deadly preparations. Not just on 9-11, but repeatedly. And we've seen it since then. And we've seen it since then. And then Joe Biden picks Alejandro Mayorkas to head up the Department of Homeland Security. I call the Department of Homeland Surrender. Mayorkas was the guy who ordered his people, but he was the deputy under Obama, deputy head of DHS, and before that he ran Citizenship and Immigration Services, ordered his people to approve virtually all the applications. Get to yes or else. The 9-11 Commission identified immigration fraud, people lying on applications for visas and benefits, including political asylum, green card applications, citizenship applications. People lying on those applications um, were behind what happened most of the terror attacks. That's why my article that I just uh, was just published at American Conservative talks about interior enforcement. It's not just the border that's, that's not working. And these are failures by design. I mean, it's not by accident that Joe Biden picked Mayorkas. And now, and I'm working on an article, uh, this will be for Front Page magazine, Biden's pick to be the commissioner of Customs and Border Protection. So he has selected a sheriff from Arizona. And you say, well, the guy's a sheriff. He's law enforcement. That's great. Cool you, Jets. I'll let you in on a little secret. You may not know this, but chiefs of police tend to be political figures. They mostly serve at the pleasure of the mayor, the governor, the town supervisor, whatever. And if they don't make that political figure happy, they could be fired in a New York minute. Boom, you're gone. You're gone. In fact, um, back around... 2005, I had the privilege of addressing the executive board of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And I spoke, and President Bush's uh, special assistant, uh, Allison Ho, spoke. Um, but what I talked about was immigration law enforcement. And I said, you know, you folks, you police chiefs, you go out there and you talk about, well, we don't want to work with immigration and all this other business. You understand the dangers. And we got into this whole big thing. And I got a standing ovation. It was very gratifying. I had one of my kids with me. It was up in Boston. And when I got done with my presentation, I was standing there with a bunch of these chiefs of police. And they came from all over the United States. There were a couple of hundred of them in this beautiful ballroom. I believe it was at the Hilton. It was so many years ago, uh, over 15 years ago. But I believe we were in the Hilton Hotel. Stunning ballroom, you know, and a really nice room. Crystal chandeliers. You, you get the picture and I, and I said to them, what is wrong with you folks? They said, well, you know, you need to take this message, Mr. Cutler, all over the country. I said, so you agree with me? They said, yes. I said, well, why aren't you an advocate for immigration law enforcement? And suddenly all these chiefs of police, all these men and women from all over the country, a whole bunch of them were just standing there looking at the floor. I guess they wanted to see what shoes they put on that morning. Maybe they forgot what they were wearing. And I said, what's going on? And one of these chiefs looked at me and said, do you realize that much as I agree with you, if I dared went and went public and said what you just said, I'd be out of a job before the sun sets. The mayor would call me in and he'd say, Charlie, you're fired, or whatever his name was. I said, so you don't tell the truth to keep your job. 
And as a consequence, you're endangering the lives of the men, women, and children you're supposed to protect. You took an oath to protect them. You're endangering the safety of the men and women who work under your command so that you could keep your job. I said, what is wrong with this picture, ladies and gentlemen? And boy, oh boy, everyone was suddenly just staring at the floor or looking up at the ceiling, but nobody could make eye contact. So when you hear that someone is a chief of police, some of them are very good. Some of them have real spine. They stand up and they'll tell you what they're thinking, and God bless them. But most of them are political appointees. Same thing with generals in the military, admirals in the military. They know which way the political winds are blowing. And they know that their careers are linked to the politicians, so they've got to become, for lack of a better way of describing it, the politician's ventriloquist's dummy. Whatever the politician says, they sit there going, uh-huh, he's right, uh-huh, he's right, yep, the mayor's right, yep, he's right, he said it, he's right. And in their heart of hearts, they know that this is the worst thing in the world, but they want to keep their job, so they have to go along to get along or get along to go along or you figure it out. You get the point. So who does Biden pick? You're going to love the story and wait till it comes out. <clears throat> I'm hoping that it will be published next week in Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. By the way, after the program, please go check out my articles at frontpagemag.com or you can go to my own personal website, michaelcutler.net. Check out my articles. If you like them, please forward them to everybody. Use social media. Snail mail, email, phone calls. I don't care how you do it. Text people. I'm trying to create what I call a bucket brigade of truth because the news media is not telling the truth. Let's get past that nonsense. And if you read my articles, you will see that they're fact-based. If I talk about a section of law, I give you the link. You can read the law. You decide for yourself. If I can't substantiate what I'm saying, I won't say it and I won't write it. My parents were tough. My dad was a construction worker, and if I ran my mouth at the dinner table, he'd look at me over the top of his glasses and give me what I used to call the father look, and he'd say, Mike, empty barrels make an awful lot of noise. And I knew he wasn't happy, because if I couldn't substantiate anything that I said at the dinner table, I was not allowed to say it. My mother used to say, my son is not going to be a BS artist. Tragically, I lost them to cancer when I was in college within a year of each other. Um, I haven't been with them in over 50 years. I miss them terribly, but I still stand in their, on their shoulders because they were great parents. They made me accountable and responsible, and they inspired me. They didn't have the opportunities I had. My mom came here at the age of 13 ahead of the Holocaust, lived by herself in a rooming house, and made umbrellas in a sweatshop for $3 a, a week. <clears throat> By the time she was in her 20s, with a fourth-grade education, she became the chief buyer of a dress company that was so successful during the Depression that her boss became one of Roosevelt's salary year men, and he frequently pointed to my mother for his success. She came legally, lived by herself at the age of 13, and supported herself. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman. And i got to tell you, tradesmen impressed the hell out of me, craftsmen, tradesmen. The world is built by them, not the pencil-neck geeks that shovel paper from one side of their desk to the other. I love when bankers tell you about the products that they offer. Banks offering you a product? I didn't know three-card Monty was a product. I thought a product needed wood and metal and screws and wire, needed something, an assembly line. The products that they offer. 
You can't make this stuff up. So my parents were very strong on this. They said, if you can't prove what you're saying, don't say it. Wouldn't it be nice if these so-called talking heads adhere to that principle? But in any event, I digress. The, peop- the person being selected by Biden, his name, and he's, a, he's the uh, Tucson police chief, Chris Magnus. So I, I want to read to you something that was in a Washington Post news report published on April 12th, just, uh, I don't know, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. It starts out with this uh, couple of paragraphs. I think it's worth for you to hear this. President Biden is preparing to nominate Tucson Police Chief Chris Magnus to be Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, selecting a critic of the Trump administration's immigration policies to run the country's largest federal law enforcement agency as it contends with the biggest increase in migrants arriving at the southwest border in two decades. Now, again, this is the Washington Post, okay? This is not a conservative publication. I'm impressed by this article. It is fact-based. That's why I'm reading it to you. I wouldn't be reading nonsense to you. The article goes on and says, Magnus has led the Tucson Police Department since 2016 and has prominently associated himself with the movement favored by the progressive wing of the Democrat Party that emphasizes a less aggressive community-based policing model. Magnus opposed efforts to make Tucson a sanctuary city, but he generally eschewed cooperation with federal immigration authorities, placing him at odds with the Border Patrol Union and many of the agents and officials who will potentially be under his command. The article continued along, and then we get to this. In Tucson, Magnus led a department with about 1,000 officers and staff. If confirmed, he'd be in charge of the staff 60 times as large at CBP, that's Customs and Border Protection, which includes the U.S. Border Patrol as well as the Office of Field Operations, whose blue uniformed officers manage the country's legal ports of entry. That's the inspectors, the job I did for four years, by the way. Now, let me continue on. Relations between Magnus and the Border Patrol have been frosty, according to three current and former CBP officials, particularly following an incident in 2017 when the Tucson police declined to assist the Border Patrol after a suspect escaped from custody. The Border Patrol's union called him, quote, an ultra-liberal social engineer who was given a badge and gun by the city of Tucson in a 2018 Facebook post. Magnus is a member of the Law Enforcement Immigration Task Force, which is partnered to the National Immigration Forum and says on its website that local police should not be involved in federal immigration enforcement. Think about that. So when he was the chief of police and the Border Patrol came to him and said, we have an escapee, can you lend us some police officers to help us look for this guy? And I have to believe the guy was dangerous, but even if he isn't, it doesn't matter. We all help when something happens. And he said, nope, you're on your own. Have a nice day. We're not going to do anything. And now we know why he was selected by Biden, because he hates to see people arrested. He hates to see anything done to enforce immigration laws. And I I want to give you my own perspective about this notion about working with the police. And we heard the same crap from Governor Cuomo, the man who single-handedly 
uh, gave orders that resulted in the deaths of thousands of elderly people. Kleinbucket, Cuomo. It infuriates me because Cuomo has referred to ICE agents as thugs. That kind of language has the potential to get agents hurt or killed. It is reprehensible. It is reprehensible. If he wants to see a thug, all he's got to do is look in the mirror. And when people talk about, well, these are the people that are only coming to work, you don't know who they are when they run the border. Chuck Schumer proposed legislation that would make trespassing on critical infrastructures and national landmarks a federal crime with a five-year maximum jail sentence. And he went into this whole big thing, and it's on his official New York, New York State Senate, or sorry, official U.S. Senate website. So this isn't hearsay. It was on his website. I think it's still there. We need this law because people who trespass are dangerous. And he even mentioned a 16-year-old boy who climbed the World Trade Center under construction so that he could take a selfie, and he said he doesn't care. I don't care if these people are adrenaline junkies or they're criminals. If they trespass, put them in jail and put them away for five years, and that would deter this. He said state law only calls for a maximum of one year, and they usually only get a month or two if they're prosecuted, and that's not enough jail time. These people need to spend serious time in jail so they will stop trespassing. I like that. Okay, well, what do you call it when an alien evades the inspections process at a port of entry? Is that not trespassing? But then things slip, you see. If you're an illegal alien and you trespass on America, we should give you citizenship. If you're an American kid who doesn't have a clear head and you climb the trade center to take a selfie, you should be in jail for five years. Do you not see a disconnect here? Let me tell you how this all works. If you look at the 9-11 Commission report, and there's been a big deal, I've spoken about this before, that a number of people who were on the terror watch list were arrested by the Border Patrol. Everyone gets a little excited. Well, they, they grabbed these people that were on the watch list. Most terrorists aren't on the watch list, folks. That's the whole point to a sleeper. A sleeper agent is someone who comes into the country legally, illegally, doesn't matter, stowaway on a ship, skydive out of an airplane, uh, you know, whatever it takes. Come across with a student visa. Come across with a tourist visa. Enter under the visa waiver program, which should have ended, but keeps getting expanded. A gift from Ronald Reagan. It's both parties that have done this to us. To placate the Chamber of Commerce if they're bought and paid for. I couldn't take a cup of coffee on duty, and, and the campaigns get how many millions, hundreds of millions of dollars? Are you kidding me? Do I look that stupid to you? So they come to the United States, they keep a low profile, and they wait for that tap on the shoulder that tomorrow's the day. And while they're here, they're going about scoping out locations and raising money and holding clandestine meetings and gathering up the supplies they need for an attack. And most of them are not on any watch list. So if somebody comes in illegally and they flee, you want to catch them. There's a legal way to enter. And, you know, we always hear this garbage. Well, there's no way these people can't come here. If only you made it easier. Easier. Prior to COVID, I'm not sure what the numbers were last year because last year was completely screwed up. But in the average year, within the last, for the past couple decades, in an average year, we admit more than 1 million lawful immigrants. They're given green cards. They can hold down any job that they're qualified to do. They can even bring their immediate families here. A million plus. 
that is more than the rest of the world combined. So when people say, well, we're making it too hard. Well, wait a minute. We can only admit a certain number of people if we don't want to start displacing Americans or overburden the environment. If you look at the crazy plan that the president has for the environment, every person who comes into the United States needs more than a pillow to sleep on. They need water. They need food. They need electricity. They need heat. They need air conditioning. They need sewerage. They need health care. They need transportation. They need education. Do you realize how huge that footprint is? How many acres of land do we need to grow enough food to sustain one person for one year? Or whatever it is, multiply it by well over a million, because every time a million come in, they need all those things. And that's not including the tens of millions of temporary visitors who come here every year as tourists, as businessmen, as workers, as foreign students, as journalists, as diplomats. We're not even including them, because... Tens of millions come to the United States every year in that fashion. And everyone has an environmental footprint. So if we're going to talk about being green and caring for the environment and that zero net emissions isn't good enough, according to um, Kerry, the man who flitters around the world in his own private jet, I mean, the rules don't apply to him. He's Kerry, you know, ketchup man. I mean, this is outrageous. This is outrageous. Leaders set examples by doing what they expect of you. My best bosses were people that kept themselves to a higher standard than they expected from us. That's what leadership is. Mahatma Gandhi was a leader. He lived among the people that he led, and he lived the same way that they lived. He didn't live in the Taj Mahal. He lived in a very modest dwelling, and he lived with his people. That's what a real leader looks like. A guy hopping into his his private jet plane, well, he screams about the environment and the atmosphere is not a leader. He's a clown. He needs a rubber nose and big shoes. It's outrageous. If we don't control who's coming into the country, we're hammering everything. The environment, we're making it harder for our kids to get an education. If people come here, they can't speak, read or write English, and they enroll in our schools. Um, there was a study done by the Congressional Budget Office that said that it costs 20 to 40% more to educate kids who can't speak, read or write English. So just admitting more students requires more classrooms, more teachers, more laboratories, etc. And if those students can't speak, read, or write English, the costs go way higher. And American kids who aren't getting the education they need, maybe they're special needs children. I've spoken about my youngest son before, but I'm so proud of him. He has a form of autism. But because of early intervention, he graduated with honors with an engineering degree, and he's on a business trip right now. Um, and he's doing an incredible job. I, I could not be prouder of him, all because of early intervention. My second oldest son and his wife both teach children with learning disabilities. I'm so proud of them. But they don't have the resources they need because increasingly money is being spent on English as a second language, not on providing American children with the education they need. Now, if you're very wealthy, you can put your kid in any school you want. And that's where charter schools, I believe, are very important. But, of course, the Democrats don't want charter schools, but the wealthy among the Democrats certainly don't send their children to public school. This disconnect, this hypocrisy, enrages me. It enrages me that I've testified before 17 congressional hearings 
because of 9-11, that I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I want to know why. Why was I wasting my time? Because everything that Biden is doing and everything that the politicians have done, with few exceptions, violates the findings or recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. In fact, I would argue that what Biden is doing right now is he, it's as though he looked at the 9-11 Commission report. Well, I, I doubt he did. I'm not sure where his mind is. Maybe he keeps it in a, in a mayonnaise jar on Funkin' Wagnall's porch, as Johnny Carson might have said. But you look at the people in his administration and the advocates for open borders, it's as though they looked at the 9-11 Commission report and said, you know what? Whatever enabled the terrorists to come to America and kill people, that's what we need to be doing. These politicians should be getting the most valuable player reward from ISIS, al-Qaeda, the drug cartels, and America's adversaries, because these policies undermine national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and livelihoods of Americans. Is this really a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? So they're pushing a communist socialist agenda. But I have to tell you, the people on the right that want the cheap labor, that don't want to pay taxes, that don't want any regulations, are helping to convince the average American that capitalism doesn't work, because they think we have a capitalist system, they think we have a republic. In point of fact, there was a professor at Princeton University about a decade ago who looked at the situation then, and it's only gotten, I don't know how much more off the scale since then, but he said, this isn't a republic, this is an oligarchy. The wealthy get what they want, and everyone else you know, has to settle for scraps. So I was on a conservative radio show, perhaps a month or two ago, and I got into it with the host. And he said, you know what's wrong with the Democrats? And again, it upsets me. I'm registered as a Democrat. These so-called Democrats today are radical. They're nothing like the Democrats that were Democrats way back when. They're not like Harry Truman. They're not like Henry Scoop Jackson. They're not like JFK. They're completely off the rails. But he said to me, you know, what's wrong with the Democrats? They want a guarantee of outcome. And in a capitalist system, the only thing you have is a guarantee of opportunity. <laughs> what a joke. Guarantee of opportunity when you're bringing in foreign workers hand over fist to displace Americans? Where's your guarantee of opportunity then? But I decided to have a little fun with this guy. And I said, well, you know, um, you think America is a capitalist country? He said, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Of course this is a capitalist country. I said, in capitalism, there's no guarantee of outcome. Is that right? He said, absolutely, no guarantee. I said, what would you say if I told you that in America there is a guarantee of outcome? And there was a long pause, and he said, you've got to be kidding. And I could sense hostility in this guy's voice. He said, what are you talking about, Mr. Cutler? Guarantee of outcome? That's baloney. I said, I can give you an answer to that challenge, and all I need, believe it or not, how many words do you think I need? To refute what you just said he said well i don't know because there's no way of refuting it i said well i have two words that refute it with two words i will leave you speechless with two words we're going to be hearing dead air and i promise you and he thought i was joking he said you have two words that's going to shut me up i said yeah he said what two words do you know what the two words were folks think about it golden Parachute. Golden parachute. How many companies hire their CEOs and CFOs 
the top 1% of the leadership in those companies, and they promise them that if for any reason, even if you screw up when you go out the door, we're going to give you a check for X millions of dollars. Happens all the time. Is that not a guarantee of outcome? And I was right. We had dead air. Dead air. I kept saying, are you here? Are you there? Hello? Hello? Are you there? Can you hear me? Where'd you go? Are you hiding under your desk? He was flabbergasted. He was absolutely stunned and, to my relief, speechless because it was getting ridiculous. What we have is a corporate welfare state. Now, what's funny is AOC, you know, Alexandria the barmaid, well, she's out there all the time saying corporate welfare, and, and she took the position that Amazon should have to pay taxes. I actually agree with her on that. When I hear from the conservatives, well, wait a minute, Amazon creates jobs, and we heard this at Fox News. What are you doing? You're, you're going to kill jobs. They, they create jobs. They shouldn't have to pay taxes. Okay, if you accept that premise, and, and you're free to do that, this is America. I still believe in the First Amendment, freedom of speech. You have the right to be wrong. I won't stop you. But, but here's my point. So the criteria is if you create jobs, you shouldn't pay taxes. So how about the corner deli that has 10 people working there because they work shifts? They provide 10 jobs. Should they be paying taxes? How about the car dealership that has a whole bunch of people? They have salesmen. They have accountants. They have mechanics. They have all kinds of people, receptionists. So they create jobs. So should the car dealerships not have to pay taxes, just like Amazon, because the argument is they create jobs. They make jobs. We need to not tax them because we want those jobs. So basically, either you believe that no business should pay tax or every business pays tax. What do you think, folks? Am I getting something wrong here? So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes out there. Corporate welfare. But you know what the biggest form of corporate welfare is? The importation of an army of cheap, exploitable workers. And it's not just the illegal aliens. It's all these visa employees. And when you hear that we have to make the immigration laws modern, what it really means is to remove a section of that law that, that lives in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, that addresses this idea that no alien should be able to come to the United States and take a job if, there are Americans ready, willing, and able to do that work in that general location. You know, if you need a computer programmer and the people are in Montana and the job is in Florida, well, that doesn't count. But if you have people in your neighborhood and they could do the job, you should not be able to bring in foreign workers. And they game the system all the time. There's been documentaries made or at least videos shot of lawyers conspiring with other lawyers and telling them how to beat the system. Because obviously, if they bring in foreign workers, they get money. See, immigration is actually an employment program for lawyers from both political parties. But, but So the, the point of the matter is that hypocrisy doesn't end. I happen to agree with this notion of corporate welfare, but then why does Ocasio-Cortez want open borders? What does that do to the jobs of Americans? What does it do to the wages of Americans who don't get displaced? What does it do to homelessness? The old Democrat Party would have stood by that, and they would have said, no, we don't want those workers. In fact, in 2006, 
Bernie Sanders was out there pounding on the on the podium. Oh, my God, we ought to be prosecuting anybody who hires an illegal alien. They need to feel the weight of the law because they're destroying wages and jobs for Americans. And now what are we hearing? No border patrol, anarchy on the border, no interior enforcement. We need interior enforcement because ultimately, uh, I'll give you an example. This is kind of a cute riddle. How many times does an alien have to run the border before he or she gets to the United States, gets to come in? And there's a definite number. It's one times more than the number of times they're stopped. So what, what's the point? Anybody willing to be arrested numerous times by the Border Patrol will ultimately get to the interior of the United States. People who come in at international airports and violate the visas, the Border Patrol can't stop them. The people that look for them are the agents. If people file applications for benefits, they need the agents to make sure there's no fraud. People said, well, E-Verify solves the problem. It does if you have agents to make sure that the system has integrity, just like they have auditors at the IRS. To simply say people have to file a tax return and that will solve the problem, no, because people will lie on their tax returns. People will lie on E-Verify. So what's the trick? You need the agents to conduct the investigations to make certain that nobody is gaming the system. And that's why you never get agents, because agents inevitably – would come up with crooked lawyers and crooked companies. In fact, as an agent, I helped with a couple of investigations of lawyers who went to jail. You see? Talk about jailhouse lawyers, huh? So understand the point. The immigration system is a delivery system that has been designed to fail because the politicians have been given big enough bribes. I didn't mean to say bribe. Oh, my gosh, I keep confusing these words. Campaign contributions, you see? This is a system designed to fail so that the wealthy can get wealthier, and we're destroying the middle class. And as you destroy the middle class, you convince more and more Americans that capitalism doesn't work. But, of course, what they don't realize, this really isn't capitalism. This is a social welfare state for corporations and the mega wealthy. That's what we're really experiencing right now. It's got to stop. We, the people, have every right to expect our government to look out for our best interests. Right now, we've got the best government money can buy, and I would argue that there should be a new cabinet-level position within the administration, the official auctioneer. The official auctioneer. I think the guy from the Mecham Auto Auction does a damn good job. Maybe they ought to hire him. This is not what the Founding Fathers had in mind. But, you know, my dad taught me that... uh, we treat people how they should be we teach people how they should treat us by demonstrating what we're willing to accept we need to get our voices heard and we need to get these politicians to understand that we're not the idiots that they had hoped we are i thank you for joining me i hope you guys all have a wonderful weekend please check out my latest article at the american conservative interior enforcement and the border crisis the one issue intentionally ignored by our corrupt political elite Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Um, Make use of that First Amendment. Have conversations that are fact-based with your neighbors, friends, and family, and pass my articles and the link to this video along to as many folks as you can and become part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. See you next week, everybody. Stay well. Stay safe.